wonk. Huh? I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the whole. I did old, uh, some poll uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, a fan. Wet mall. Taking your calls at 270 1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament? Huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. I am Tim Graham from The Athletic here in studio with... Jonah Bronstein, you can follow him on Twitter, at LeBronstein. Matthew Fairburn's here, too. You can what, what, are, what is your Twitter account, Matt? Is it just Matthew at Matthew Fairburn. Fairburn? Not a buy or anything in there? I got in early enough to get my name. Yeah, I waited too long. I had, uh, I'm trying to think of what it was. I think I was ESPN Tim Graham or something like that for a little too long. But that's a good one. I feel like uh, Tim Graham's probably a, a little more common. Yeah, Tim ben. Graham is an Aussie, is an Aussie. There's a guy in Australia that has at Tim Graham. Graham. Does he have Tim a lot of followers? I, I haven't checked in a while. I, I don't think so. Huh. I had when I worked in the Las, at the Las Vegas Sun, I was unlisted, and I would occasionally get a phone call at the office from a, another guy named Tim Graham who would leave me messages, and he would be livid, and he would say, "Will you please?" <laughs> like the, the logic involved here. Would you please stop having people call me? Like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm leaving messages for people that I need for work, and I'm saying, can you call me back at this other guy's yeah, give number? Give this number instead. <laughs> Bobby Rosati's here. He's no fool. He's our producer. At B Rosati, just Bobby Rosati. Bobby Rosati. Yeah, I got it. I got lucky too. I guess. <laughs> Bobby Rosati. B O B B Y. R-O-S-A-T-I. I could spell Bobby Rosati yeah. after working with you for three years. A lot of Imagine people that. You're one of the first ones I saw go with a, a bye in front of your name. Well, it's because I couldn't get Tim Graham, and I didn't know what else to do with it, and I stole it from Tim Reynolds of the Associated Press. He's at Tim or at by Tim Reynolds, and I kind of like that. That's what we're all about. We're in journalism. We have our bylines. Jonah Bronstein just uh, set up the... Uh, video portion of the show you can watch uh, tim graham shows past and and current i guess you can't watch future tim graham shows yet on periscope and uh, we tweet out links to that so uh, check it out if you want to watch it you're listening to it right now in some way shape or form you're either listening to it live on sports radio 1270 the fan or via the podcast you always wondered why you did that you tell people to turn off the radio and turn on the internet but i guess people could be getting out of their car and you want to say hey stick when i'm this. doing the show i picture people in their cars right listening yeah. to the show but a lot of people are on the periscope a lot of people that can't get the show on the radio yeah so i'm not thinking like hey uh put on the nbc sports uh, sabers game tonight and then turn off the mute the volume so you can listen <laughs> yeah. to rick Jarrett. yeah it's it's the same thing it's not like we get a different audio version. It's also like three or four seconds behind, so you couldn't even do that. Well, this is where you need to engineer something. You're the video guy. 
get on that <laughs> and, and correct that oversight. Scott Farrell is going to be on the show today. Scott Farrell has been off the air for a while. Former uh, sports uh, CBS Sports host overnight. You heard him uh, here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. He has a new gig. He's going to come on and tell us about it. He is uh, starting his new gig today. He said uh, that, and I haven't checked him up, checked up on him. You know, I don't feel like I need to do that. I don't think he lied to me. But uh, Scott Farrell says he did no other media to talk about his new venture. Uh, he is, uh, and so he's. Uh, we're going to talk to Scott Farrell later on in the show about what he's up to. It's pretty cool, taking a risk. But this is a guy who used to work for Howard Stern trying to get out of a little untraditional uh, radio, get into something a little different. Scott Farrell will be on to talk about that. All-time great radio voice. Yes. All-time great radio guest. Joel Staniszewski is going to be on to give us his thoughts on Super Joel Sunday, his betting tips. Oh, by the way, you know Scott Farrell, who's huge into the gambling aspect of sports, will be giving us his breakdown of the Chiefs and 49ers also. Coming up in uh, just a little bit, though, uh, we're going to have former Niagara University basketball coach Joe Mahalik. He's going to be on. Uh, it's been a it's been a rough couple of weeks for, for Joe Mahalik, but he's coming on because he wants to share his remembrances of two people who've been very important to his life, legends in the basketball world. Morgan Wooten, uh, perhaps the greatest high school basketball coach of all time, Joe Mahalik's mentor from DeMatha Catholic in Maryland, and uh, one of only three high school basketball coaches in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, Morgan Wooten passed away on January 21st. Five days later, Kobe Bryant dies in a helicopter crash at the age of 41. And Joe Mahalik has interesting insight on Kobe Bryant. Uh, He was an assistant at LaSalle in Philadelphia at the same time that Kobe Bryant's father, Joe Bryant, was an assistant coach at LaSalle. Jelly Bean. And a lot of people don't remember, but when Kobe Bryant was considering whether or not to go straight to the NBA or not, there really was only one college he was going to go to if he went to college, and it was going to be LaSalle. LaSalle based there in Philadelphia. And so uh, Joe Mahalik saw a lot of Kobe Bryant before Kobe Bryant became known to the world as one of the all-time great basketball players, as a prodigy um, that we got to know when Kobe Bryant was a senior at Lower Lower Marion High School. Even before that, Joe Mahalik was watching this kid work out. Um, Kobe Bryant, still amazing to me, that uh, even before his senior season at Lower Marion High School was scrimmaging and working out with the Philadelphia 76ers. And it was said that you really couldn't tell the difference. So a 16, 17-year-old kid holding his own against NBA players. So we're going to have uh, Joe Mahalik on uh, in a little bit. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, because, uh, well, it's been on my mind a lot today. I really don't have a, a, a congealed thought on it. It's just kind of it's strange. It's interesting, and I think it's going to impact Western New York uh, quite a bit in the months and years to come. Uh, the Buffalo News uh, was uh, sold today to Lee Enterprises, and that had always been one of the great bits of mental insurance, the peace of mind that Warren Buffett was uh, the owner of the Buffalo News and that his 
wealth as and his uh, you know, the Oracle of Omaha, as he's called, his uh, his financial wherewithal and and wisdom uh, kept the Buffalo News in a bit of a bubble uh, for a while, while other newspapers have been hemorrhaging money and laying off people and downsizing. And yes, the Buffalo News has gone through a little bit of that in the last couple of years uh, through buyouts, voluntary buyouts at that, um, is that uh, the union contract that is there is so strong and you can't lay people off. But now you have Warren Buffett selling the paper and it just creates a little little mystery. And we have a lot of colleagues. They've been on my mind today. Uh, people, I worked at the Buffalo News for 15 years. Jonah Bronstein, uh, while not full-time there, still is a, is a contributor. And you can see Jonah's byline uh, at buffalonews.com. And, um, yeah, it's just a, a strange day. You, you wonder what's going to happen. And um, uh, a lot of people are on my mind today. And I, I hope things uh, things work out. Yeah, it hap- it's it seems like the Buffalo News has been able to, because of Warren Buffett, like you mentioned, be almost way behind everybody else in terms of the bad things that catch up to different newspapers that you see around the country. And then they've been able to do a lot of really good work because of it. And, um, you know, we all know a lot of people over there. So you just hope, hope anytime you see these media companies changing hands that the people get to continue to do good work because I don't know what what the future holds for the profession. It's certainly less trivial in terms of sports than it is in terms of the 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 news that's being covered and people having to you know hold people accountable that are in you know high places in the city and things of that nature. So I don't know. Journalism journalism is important, and you hope it's in the right hands. I don't know much about who bought them, but um, you just hope it's hope it's in good hands. Yeah, Lee Enterprise is uh, which its most notable paper, I think, uh, prior to today, and maybe even still, maybe it's considered more prominent than the Buffalo News is the St. Louis Post Dispatch. Uh, but the Buffalo News, this is only uh, you know, Warren Buffett bought the paper in 1977, and so he's owned it for a long time. Some criticism of Warren Buffett at, because he is based in Omaha. Uh, that he siphoned off a lot of money from Western New York. Uh, but some of that criticism is unwarranted. He did invest a lot. He kept an awful lot of people employed in Western New York for a long time. Uh, Geico, uh, Warren Buffett and his Berkshire Hathaway Holdings owns Geico. And you think of the call centers and a lot of the investment that, that Warren Buffett made by putting, uh, you know, a lot of people work for Geico in Western New York. So uh, Warren Buffett has been a major employer in Western New York for a long time. Lee Enterprises does not have that connection with Western New York. And I think we're probably going to see some consolidation of assets with, with Lee. That generally does not lead to uh, a lot of hiring. Uh, quite the opposite. And this is just me as somebody who follows uh, the the state of the Buffalo News for a long period of time, and also as someone who teaches journalism at Canisius College, that uh, you know I think about these things and I research them and I read about them. And my gut is that this is at best going to, if you for those who at the Buffalo News, my friends, uh, my my peers. Uh, fellow journalists, editors, all the people who work there, designers, 
that it stays the same, I think, is the hope. I don't think that this is something where you look at it and say, oh, finally, Lee Enterprises is coming in as our savior. If Warren Buffett, who has been the most bullish um, financial mind when it comes to newspapers and the industry, uh, when he is giving up on newspapers, I think that that is a sad, sad day for the business. And, um, and again, the Buffalo News is going to survive in some way, shape, or form. I, d- I don't think that the Buffalo News is going to disappear. Uh, as a newspaper, things have to change. Uh, but, um, but as a news organization, as a media outlet that is prominent in Western New York, it's going to have to reinvent itself, which it's been trying to do, as all newspapers have been trying to do. Um, and you hope that some answers are found, uh, and you even hope that answers are found in a different market. You know, that's kind of the, that was the, the grace of that Warren Buffett Berkshire Hathaway bubble that the Buffalo news is in. And, and also Western New York has some other, um, unusual traits when it comes to helping the Buffalo news remain as, as strong as it has over the years is the fact that it's an older population that still relies on the newspaper, uh, the penetration rate, which is uh, um, an industry term for the number of people who can, who can uh, subscribe to your paper and do, um, as opposed to you know, so your penetration rate has always been very high in Western New York. Um, and you hear, you know, things that are also unusual in Buffalo, like the housing industry, how, you, you know, while um, places like Northeast Ohio and Southern Nevada and Florida were collapsing in the late 2020 aughts and uh, housing was, you know, the financing and, and the bubble was bursting, it didn't in Western New York. Housing remained strong. So Buffalo's got some weird, good some cool, weird things going for it in that regard. And so you hope just that somebody, whether it's in Pittsburgh, whether it's in Seattle, wherever, uh, if it's in Missoula, Montana, Minneapolis actually is doing some really good things, that some newspapers are out there and able to figure it out so that other newspapers can just copy it and say, thank God, somebody's come up with a formula and that was kind of the, one of the cool things about being at the Buffalo News was, all right, we're, we know we're, we're, we're still inching towards uh, ominous times, but we're, still, we're so behind the curve that we, we can learn from the rest of the industry's uh, successes and failures. So anyway, that's just all rambling off the top of my head. I had nothing prepared today. It's just something that I woke up to that news, and uh, it's been in my mind, and I, I, I thought that there were probably some people out there wondering – you know, what my thoughts were on the matter as somebody who worked there for 15 years and is there no longer. Um, I don't know. I don't want to put you on the spot, Jonah, as somebody who does do some work there. But I know that, we, you know, we've had these discussions about the industry before, not specifically about nobody saw this coming. That's the other thing, too, is I've had discussions with people in management as recently as a week or two ago, and they were telling me their theories about what they thought was going to happen. It wasn't this. Nobody thought that Warren Buffett was everybody thought that Warren Buffett was going to take the Buffalo News to his grave and then it was going to be his investors that would decide what to do with it. So Warren Buffett um, at this stage to to make the sale caught a lot of people by surprise. I've seen some internal emails from the Buffalo News that have been going around today to um, to employees and everybody in management is like obviously uh, <laughs> we we didn't we had no idea um uh, bear with us, you know, so it's, uh, anyways, 
don't know if you have it. Am I putting you on the spot by asking you, Jonah? Well, not so much. Yeah, I had no idea, and I don't think anybody that I talked to, nobody heard any rumblings that this was even being you know, negotiated. Because I remember working at the Niagara Gazette for a long time, and there was always talk that the company that owns the Niagara Gazette community newspapers holdings in Alabama was trying to sell the paper. We knew how much they wanted to sell the paper for and local buyers that were interested and didn't want to pay that much. Never heard anything like that about the Buffalo News. I know people that work for other newspaper companies that talk about, hey, this paper might be for sale or this corporation's looking at this group of papers. There was never talk that they would ever have any opportunity to try to buy the Buffalo News. So this came as a big shock to everybody that I know in and out of the paper. And then beyond that, you know, I don't really know what to say because I don't know anything. I I don't think too many people that work for the Buffalo News know much of what's going to happen or the hows and the whys and and what's ahead. Yeah, and that's where I don't want to get into speculation on that. It would be reckless to do so, and, you know, I I don't know. Uh, The one thing that I did find, just to make it a point, um, there were some signs of this. And there were some people who've recently left the Buffalo News, and I'm talking about in terms of management. Listeners wouldn't know the names. Readers wouldn't know the names. But people who had filled prominent roles uh, within the corporate infrastructure of the Buffalo News, and their departures were raising red flags to some, a, lot of, a lot of people within the Buffalo News as, what's up with that? But then were kind of explained away or reconciled, justified in some way as, eh, you know, it's that happens. Uh, but I think if you look but back even the, and, and even it's Even like, the speculation eh. about that, yeah, in hindsight, you say, oh, that makes sense. But even the speculation when people talked about those departures wasn't, uh, I wonder if the paper is going to be sold soon. No, absolutely no, not. It was not sold. That. It might even be like, well, the, the, um, the bottom line maybe isn't as strong as we thought. Or maybe we're heading to another quarterly, you know, a bad quarterly report. Yeah, nothing about actually being sold. I think it was pretty much a consensus opinion by anybody, you know, unless, with the exception of anybody who was involved in these negotiations. I'm talking about people in management who I've talked to recently that – were caught totally unawares by this. Um, but I think that consensus opinion was that Warren Buffett will never sell the Buffalo News. Um, and, yeah, so that is the thing that really, not necessarily the sale, it's the guy who sold it, is really the thing that is, uh, that is disconcerting. Um, we're going to hit a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Joe Mahalik. He's the head coach at Hofstra University. You know him after 15 years at Niagara University, uh, helping the Purple Eagles reach two NCAA tournament berths and also three NIT bids. Uh, he's now at Hofstra, as I said, and is going to talk to us about uh, the recent passings of Kobe Bryant and Morgan Wooten, people who were close to him uh, when we come back. On the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. 
Celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner is a full-service accounting firm that also offers expert consultation for growing and entrepreneurial businesses. Located in Amherst, CTBK specializes in maintaining a human connection and takes a bullish approach to their clients' goals and visions with a no-surprises billing policy. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, advice on acquisitions and mergers, or practically any other business operations need you can imagine, call CTBK for a consultation at 716-630-2400. That's 716-630-2400. Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. 716-630-2400. Tim Graham Show. Because then, where do the requests stop? They say, hey, Tim, we'd like you to only enter the locker room with your pants down. I've seen you with your pants down. Taking your calls at 270-1270. It's like, well, they asked. It's their house. It's their locker room. Or how about this? Tim would do that. This is. Obviously takes a pretty big set. Sports Radio 1270. And he did have a big drum set. Yeah, But he had uh, a big set to do that line of work. The fan. The Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants right here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Pleased to have this guest on. I was hesitant to reach out to him yesterday, and it's always difficult when it comes to uh, certain topics. But uh, I know Joe Mahalik to be a thoughtful man, and uh, his response to me was uh, very gracious in, a, in that uh, if he has the ability to share his memories uh, of these people, then uh, he's going to go out of his way to do so, and he's uh, doing that right now. Joe Mahalik joining us on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Uh, Joe, thanks for joining us uh, this afternoon. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me on. I hope everybody up there is doing great. Yeah, we're, we are, and uh, I guess it's <laughs> – I don't know if you can put into words how difficult these past, uh, I guess, week, uh, 10 days have been for you. Uh, just to, to fill people in, uh, Morgan Wooten, who was your mentor, the godfather of basketball, not the godfather of high school basketball. The guy was the uh, there was a documentary about his life. He was called the, the godfather of basketball. Uh, Morgan Wooten died at 88 years old on January 21st. And then just five days later, Kobe Bryant um, uh uh, a legend uh, you didn't know when you knew him he wasn't a legend yet but he, he dies just five years uh, five days later um i guess how have you been uh processing uh, this past week yeah i mean it's been uh it's crazy i mean it was uh, I, I literally was pulling into the hotel in hyattsville college park maryland to go to morgan Woods viewing and uh, my wife mary said uh Oh my gosh, Kobe Bryant just died. So that's when we found out. I mean, it was, you know, and, and it was, uh, man, it's just interesting. Like two ends of the spectrum. One guy had a great long life that, that will never be equaled. And, and another guy who's a first ballot Hall of Famer has, has his life end way too short. And uh, there's very few other people like him. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's amazing. As we all know, it's a circle of life. I, both of them are really, really hard for me. I mean, Morgan was particularly hard. 
Uh, and Kobe's just, I, I'm like everybody else. I still think he's going to, you know, walk out of the woods somewhere and it's not going to be true. And, 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 uh, you know, but, uh, man, that's about the only thing Kobe couldn't do was survive a plane crash because it wasn't, it was everything else he seemed to be able to do. Uh, let's start with Morgan Wooten because Kobe Bryant has gotten a ton of coverage uh, for obvious reasons over the past, uh, three, four days. And I think a lot of people at this point, uh, if, you know all about Kobe and the fact that he just right. retired a few years ago. People feel like, like you say, I mean, he just, uh, I, I think it sneaks up on people that he's been out of the league for as long as he has because he seems like he was just playing a couple of years ago. But uh, Morgan Wooten uh, at DeMatha Catholic in Maryland, and I was looking up some numbers before uh, coming on the air uh, with you, uh, Joe. Yeah, the, num- the numbers are staggering, right? The numbers are just staggering. 1,274. And 192 is his career record, a winning percentage of 869, 33 conference titles, I think it was. His last year uh, in 2002, and this is a guy who clearly was not like washed up and you had to force him out, his team won 30 games. Um, He's in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, one of only three high school basketball coaches to be enshrined. And you got your coaching start after leaving LaSalle as a player you got your start as a junior varsity uh, coach and, and a, a varsity assistant with Morgan Wooten. How did that come about? Because even that far back ago, he was a legend even then. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, I always, when people when you talk about the numbers, I always say to people, imagine that you're a head coach for 42 years, 42 years, and you average 30 wins a year for those 42 years. You're still going to be behind him. He still has more wins than you. I mean, think about that, Tim. 42 years, 30 wins. It's just a staggering number. And, uh, you know, geez, I, uh, I was just so lucky to be with him. I always say it was like being, it's like, it's like, it's like somebody wanting to be a lawyer and they get to go to Harvard Law School. I mean, he's just, you know, the guy's, he's got no equal. So how that comes about is, you know, my dad was a college professor. He got his doctorate at Georgetown before he, before he uh, uh, became a professor, while he was at Georgetown, he was uh, had a, had a job with the CIA. I mean, he wasn't uh, you know going to Korea on espionage trips, but he was doing some manuscript stuff in there while he was getting his doctorate. And uh, you know, made some really close friends down there. It was one of those friend of a friend of a friend things where where um, um, a friend of my dad, uh, a friend of Morgan Wooten, and next thing you know, I'm down there coaching the, you know, coaching the JV team. So it was an incredible thing. So lucky to, to, to have done that, and uh, you know, I'll be forever grateful for for Morgan Wooten being in my life. We're in conversation with Joe Mahalik, the oh. Hofstra University basketball coach here on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. And uh, Joe, uh, can you can you put it? I mean, people probably ask you this all the time. Was there any two or three pieces of advice that you could distill that Morgan Wooten um, uh, impressed upon you that you've carried on, even as you've been around for 20, what is this, 23 years as a head coach uh, at Division One basketball? Um, that I'm sure, you know, you've learned and through your experiences, you've, you've honed and sharpened your thoughts on philosophies on coaching and recruiting and all these other things. But uh, I'm guessing that when you start with a legend like that at such a young age, there are there are foundational words uh, or 
experiences that you had with Morgan Wooten. Yeah, yeah sure. So, so Tim, like, I'll never forget this. I'm, I'm right up fresh out of college, and Morgan says, come on in, let's, let's uh, you know, talk about stuff. And I'm thinking, like, man, he wants to know uh, my thoughts on man-to-man defense and and uh, you know what we should do if we see a, if we see uh, if we see a zone and and all he talked about for, for a half hour was being yourself, being yourself, and being loyal. And uh, you know, so those things I always remember that conversation. And the other thing that always jumped at anybody that was around Morgan Luton, he whether it was his students, his players, people around him, he always talked about you know keeping your priorities in order. And he used to say, God, family, school, and basketball. And he would, he would you know, he'd elaborate on that. He would expand, expand on that. I mean, he, he said, look, you know, religion's an individual thing. It's a personal thing. But he said, show me, show me someone that has religion in their lives. I'll show you someone that understands dedication. And then he would talk about, um, you know, family. And he would say, hey, you know, family's the most important thing we have. That's who really loves you, your family. So whenever you need something, you've got to put people you love. And then he would talk about school, how you know the air was going to come out of the ball, and and school's more important than basketball. It's just flat and plain and simple. School's more important than basketball. And he said, so basketball should be fourth in your life. And, you know, and uh, he's just an incredible guy. No one could communicate like him. No one, no one could communicate. And 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 you know, there was thousands of people this viewing, thousands. And and I think everybody in there felt like uh, they were special to him. He made he made everybody feel special. You know, he's just, uh, just an incredible guy. I, back in those days, there was no cell phones. And I remember being in my off, my off period. I was teaching. I was in the office and I had to take a message up to him. And I walked it up to his class. He's a history teacher. I walked up to his classroom. And, Tim, I found myself standing outside that classroom listening to his lesson because it was so interesting. He made it so interesting. It was history, freshman history. But it was amazing. And I, instead of, I started to just listening. I was like, found myself out to about 10 minutes. Just listen to him teach his history class. He, he was that good of a communicator and teacher, and and uh, he just was a special, special guy. And you know, we can all talk about what a great coach he is, but when John Wooden from UCLA says there's no finer coach at any level—NBA, college, high school, pro, whatever—than Morgan Wooten, and that's that's pretty good. Uh, that's a pretty good, pretty big statement right there. Morgan Wooten's best players, uh, there are a, a ton of names that you can give, but the ones that uh, are at the top, Adrian Dantley, Danny Ferry, the NC State backcourt uh, that won uh, the national championship with Jim Valvano. Uh, a lot of people uh, don't know James Brown, uh, the CBS uh, broadcaster right. who uh, went on to play right. at Harvard um, uh, and might have been one of the – might have been the best of them all. I don't know. Uh, a lot of people thought so. Um, so right. – I don't know. What does it say, I guess, about a guy like Morgan Wooten? A lot of basketball coaches, uh, you hope for one of those people to come through, and he's blessed. uh, The the players make the coach, a lot of people would like to say, but um, but he, I don't know. I don't know what it says to have a resume of of players like that coming through your coming through your classroom, coming through your drills. Yeah, when they were they were all there. I mean. There's a place called a pizza place called Lido's down there in College Park, and it's where we went after every single game to to talk about the game. And and so, of course, after the viewing on Sunday night, everybody went to Lido's. There was you know a couple hundred the massive basketball players and coaches in there. And Danny Ferry was there, Sidney Lowe, Derek Wittenberg, you know, all those guys were in there. And um, you know, we were all laughing and crying and you know telling stories. And 
And uh, but you know, as far as the good players, he, he used to say this. People used to say, "Who are your five best players?" He said, "I'll tell you what. You tell me who you think the five are, and I'll tell you who you forgot." Because he had so many great, great players. Um, he uh, and, and, and while I was there, you know, he didn't, we didn't recruit. We really didn't. You know, I think there's more of that going on now down there in that area, but we didn't recruit. I mean, kids came to us. I'll never forget Billy King. Remember Billy King played at Duke? Yes. And now he's, he's yeah, so he's an NBA executive now. I mean, Billy King came from Springfield, Virginia, to visit the school in eighth grade because he wanted to come to the math. That's about an hour and 15-minute ride every day. To get he, he, was, he ended up not coming. Do you feel guilty about that? I mean, when it comes to the competition, when, when, Pete, when you have a, a – uh, a monument like uh, Morgan Wooten just drawing people to it. Uh, hey, sorry, uh, you can't uh, you can't draw kids like this, but uh, <laughs> but it sure, sure does sense, say something about the man. Oh yeah, no, he was he 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 had that he was magical. He, he just had that he had that you know had that way about him. kids wanted to play for him. He wanted to play for them. He just was and, and being around him for three years, I could see why. We are in conversation with former Niagara University basketball coach Joe Mahalik, who's now at Hofstra here on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. And uh, uh, I know you have to catch a plane. You have a game tomorrow. Uh, and so I'd like to ask you your your thoughts on Kobe Bryant. Uh, and uh, as for background uh, for our listeners, uh, uh, Joe Mahalik was the assistant basketball coach at LaSalle for a number of years, from 81 to 98. Uh but for a little bit of that time, Joe Bryant, Kobe's father, was also uh, with you as an assistant coach uh, when Kobe was, a, I think, a sophomore, junior, senior-ish uh, at Lower Marion yeah, High yeah. School in, in Philadelphia. Those were three years, yeah. so, so here you have a kid who's scrimmaging against the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, and yeah. a lot of people don't recall at the time because they think it was automatic that and maybe it was automatic, but at least in media or being dip- diplomatic at the time in 1998, or what was it? I'm sorry, 96? That would have been, six, yeah, 96. 96, yeah, okay. So is Kobe going to yeah. go straight to the NBA or is he going to go to college? But it wasn't real. he was either going to go to the NBA or play at LaSalle, was kind of the belief. Um well, that's, that's what we thought. <laughs> and, right, and here you are, an assistant. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, you, so you knew Kobe before the world knew Kobe. And, and what did you see from that 15-year-old kid um, in the gyms there? Well, Tim, and, I, actually, I actually played with Joe Bryant in college. So so his Kobe's dad, Joe, was – now, he played. I didn't play. I was, I was sitting on the bench watching him play. But, you know, we, we were teammates. My freshman year was Joe's last year at LaSalle, and he was – so did you he know you knew Kobe even before he was a teenager? Probably. I remember when Kobe was born. So you know, I mean, remember somebody saying, "Yeah, Joe, Joe, you know, Jelly Bean finally uh, he had two older daughters. Jelly Bean finally had a boy." So you know, I mean, it was. I remember it. You know, I remember it. You know, not like it was yesterday, but I remember that happened. So you know, it was. Uh, and but but what I saw from Kobe was was I guess what a lot of people saw. I mean, you you knew you knew he was a phenom. The, the moment you laid your eyes on, you knew he was just different. I mean, you know, just different in, in, in the nicest of ways, but just different. I mean, you saw you know, the regular senior in high school, the regular sophomore in high school. He was just, you know, he was just different. He was just had a way about him, faster and you know, and uh, longer and skilled and 
you know, I think what, what's, what sets Kobe apart was he always had that. He always wanted to be great. I mean, he always wanted to be great. I mean, he had that way about him. He, he had that, you know, everybody's real familiar with him now, that Mamba mentality. That's not new. That's not new. He had that in high school. He didn't know he had it. He didn't have a name for it back then. He wasn't as, you know, whatever. He just wasn't marketing it for, for goodness sakes. But he had that mentality back then. He really did. I mean, he was, you know, he just never, I mean, he was the guy that was in the house dribbling the ball while he was watching TV. I mean, he just, what he did. You know, I always tell my, once a year I tell my team the story about Kobe, how, and I forget the player, but he had an NBA teammate say, you know, I, the greatest compliment he could give Kobe was that he never saw him in the locker room. He said, you know, you know, when I, he said, when I got to practice, he was already out there. And when I was leaving practice, he was still out there. So he was like that. He was like that. He was, his, his desire to be excellent, to be the best, to be great was, you know, unequal. As someone who recruits teenagers and you're around guys in their late teens to early 20s, you know, for, for decades you have been. So you can, uh, you know the, the tells and you know the traits and the characteristics. For, for somebody who has been following the Kobe Bryant coverage over the last four or five days, or even if you followed his career and you'd hear that phrase, Mamba Mentality, People, I think, on the surface think they have an idea about what that is. But, but Joe, can you put it? What is the essence of that, and why? Why is it? What is it that he had that other kids think they have, or fake that they have? Can you put it into words as to really what that is within a within a young player and and how it drives him? I, I think it's. I think it's. It's probably this like. Getting, to, getting yourself to a point where you're better than anybody else, getting yourself to a point where you're great, and then not being satisfied with that, wanting even more, like wanting to be even greater. You know, the superlatives, however grammatically you would throw those letters at the end of those words as adjectives. I mean, that's, that's basically what that's basically how he was. I mean, get, get yourself to a point where you're great, where you're the best, and then try to be even better. And that's the way he was. It's, it might sound corny, but it's flat out the way he was. Well, Joe, I can't thank you enough uh, for joining uh, us uh, here on the show and for uh, wedging us in here before your flight. Uh, very nice of you to do that and, and to talk about uh, some bittersweet uh, moments and memories. Uh, it means uh, a lot to me that you were able to, to carve out some time for us. Well, um, uh, first of all, Tim, it's great talking with you. You do such a great job. I, I miss pe- seeing people like you all the time. Uh, but it's uh, it's kind of an honor to be able to, to talk about people like that because I, you know, if everybody was, I'm the luckiest guy I know to to be around people like that. And so, if I could share anything that can make people understand how great those guys were, then that's that's the least I could do for them. I'm sorry you lost your mentor, Joe, and um, yeah. I wish you Thanks, the, I wish you the best of luck uh, the rest of the season. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, I'm sure there's uh, a lot of a lot of highlights to come. I appreciate that, Tim, and. Uh, I'm happy to see Greg Paul is doing. He's getting to get things turned around up there. He's going to do a great job at Niagara, so I'm yeah, happy to see that. Probably the surprise story of the Big Four this year, that's for sure. I think yeah, a lot great. of people were writing great. off your former team and uh, showing some life. Yeah, rooting hard for that guy. Greg, Greg's going to do a great job, so thanks. That's Joe Mahalik. Thanks so much, Joe. All right, Tim. See you, pal. Joe Mahalik was joining us on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. Uh, when we come back, 
Uh, more talk on Kobe Bryant, uh, what uh, what Joe Mahalik had to say, some uh, great memories and some powerful words there on uh, two people who uh, were very special to him. Uh, Super Bowl talk, uh, we're going to hear from Scott Farrell coming up. We're also going to have Joel Staniszewski uh, handicapping uh, 49ers and Chiefs. Uh, when we come back here on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. He was in for the drinks and the skirts, allegedly. <laughs> Jason, chasing drinks and skirts. Feel free to call in with your favorite Derek Roy story. <laughs> 270, 1270. And on The Fan's app. Free to download in the App Store. The Tim Graham Show. <laughs> Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis Bison Kirshner here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I'm Tim Graham from The Athletic, here with Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. Jonah Bronstein, I haven't seen him play basketball, but he's in a couple of leagues, so I don't know if I can describe him as athletic. That's not how anybody that has seen me play basketball would describe me. Either. I don't think I would describe Bobby as athletic. Thanks. I don't know. I'm saying no. that as a question. What do we... We, don't, have, we don't know. We don't know about true. Bobby's athletic exploits do we uh no give us your athletic what is your sports highlight as a participant i played hockey for eight years i played goalie till about uh 16 and i played baseball till i was about 18 uh, 17 matthew fairburn former goalie oh yeah yeah we've uh we've uh commiserated about goalies before and celebrated them all right kind of like now we know i feel yeah do do goalies die more often (laughs) I think Time so. will tell. All the shots in the head. Ed Belfort's trying. Oh, my God. I saw Isn't he? that. Yeah. Ed Belfort, another mug shot for him. He looked happy, though. He did. I think that that is actually a uh, good strategy. If you ever find yourself in a situation where there's going to be a mug shot, smile. Because then it could be, who knows if it's a mug shot. True. It could be from anything. It could be a driver's license photo. Right. Like, if it shows up on the news, you could just, oh, that was his driver's license yeah. photo. If you or, just showed me that picture of Ed Belfort, I didn't think he looked great, right. you know, but right. I didn't think he looked particularly bad. That could have been like I a didn't sel- think it was a mugshot. Like a fan with the selfie and the fan cropped out, yeah. you know, like the news organization using it as Ed Belfort. Yeah, I think that if you ever find yourself in a situation where you're having your mugshot taken, you should smile. And then if you're found, if you get off from that, then you can use it. In other parts right. of life, you can use it as your avatar. You're found unguilty, right. you know, not guilty. Facebook profile picture. Sure. Uh, what were we talking about? Do they give you that when you leave? By the way, here's why your are you, shot. Why are you asking me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. Well, it's a matter of public record. I think you can ask for it. Download it on the internet, I'm sure. Mugshots, that was a huge, huge draw at the Palm Beach Post when I first started there. It was it ran across the top of the website, and it was um, Palm Beach County mugshots for the day. And they had a, um, you know, like a connection set up because it's public information where you know, a lot of some news organizations do, depending on the local laws or the state laws, where you can just download 
all the material, arrest reports. It didn't have, doesn't have to be photographs, but the Palm Beach Post would just take the photos, name, and the charge. And you would go, and it was a slideshow. So you'd see, and they would take what inevitably somebody who looked really bad and a couple of those and a couple of hot women. And they'd put them at the top. There'd be like maybe five or six at the top of the page. And so you'd see it and be like, oh, I got to see, let me see this one a little larger. And then you would go through them. You would just find yourself like eating popcorn or Skittles. You're just hitting the button trying to get the next train wreck. Or like try to see what, who's getting arrested for what. It's like that Florida man Twitter account before. Yes, Twitter, and uh, it it would get hundreds of thousands of clicks a day. The problem at the time, I don't think you would have that issue now. This was two thousand and seven. They couldn't find a sponsor for it because nobody wanted to be associated with the mugshots. But the you would DWI think, attorneys. Yeah, yeah any any law firm. Is that what it was? Is that what the section's called? Mugshots. On the Palm Beach, are you going there? Yeah, yeah. No, this was in this was in 2007. It was across. It was stripped across the top of the oh, website. So it was like a banner. It was prominent, yeah, and it had, but uh, it was getting tons of clicks. So anyway, this sounds like a million dollar app. Like kind of swipe through like oh, Tinder. Yeah. We should do it. There's a lot of weird looking people on this. You'll have that. <laughs> Sorry, I was texting a potential like guest on the show. Um, trying to see if um, is that he is able to join us. The guest for the show, it's a man. Oh, okay. No, I was. Bobby's shot. talking to his computer yeah. screen with, <laughs> with six mug- mugshots on it. Like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> Frank and Williamsville is on the phone. Oh, wait, wait. The wait. phone line's always open for you, and maybe we need to come up with a segment because you always call in with things that are rather pointed and make you think. Make you think. So maybe like Frank's complaints. Complaints. What's her name? Frank's complaints. I like that. I know that Frank wants to talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah. And based on what I know of Frank, he's probably wound up. So beyond that, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to bring. I don't know, if, but he's probably gearing up for Roger Clemens style fastball. I'm trying to calm down, Tim. What what has you all worked up, Frank? All right. Well, first of all, I, I hope the Buffalo News is listening to all that mugshot talk because they could use another revenue stream. I think, right? But it might be too late for that. I've talked. I've talked to them about it in the. T- See, I was at the Palm Beach Post in '07. And into 08. And then when I returned to the Buffalo News, I talked to him about it. But I think that there aren't, there aren't, uh, the state laws make it kind of tough. You're up, you're at the mercy of each jurisdiction. Whereas down there in Florida, and plus the way that things are set up, like Broward County Sheriff's Department or Palm Beach County Sheriff's, they oversee so much of the law enforcement, even in municipalities. So they got the lion's share of the arrests. Uh, So you didn't need to go to, Pompano Beach or whatever. You just got the the sheriffs. Anyways, yeah. it was harder to pull off. Speaking of mugshots, um, how about the Baseball Hall of Fame? You know, some of these plaques that these players get up on the wall, they don't look anything like them. Have you ever been to the Hall of Fame and see these, these, these trophies they got for these pictures? I have. You know, there are some that are pretty awful. The bronze bust get a lot of... Um, a lot of uh, attention at the Pro Football Hall of Fame because of how well they're done. There are some in there that look absolutely nothing like. Walter Payton's I don't even know who that guy is. How about the uh, Martin Luther King out there in, uh, at the park there? Uh, in Buffalo. Now, here's a, I'll have a discussion about this. Now, I haven't seen it in person. 
and I think I owe it to myself to go out there and see it in person. I understand why people don't like that statue. Uh, it's not it's not supposed to look like Martin Luther King. It's supposed to represent right. African Americans. And I think that a lot of people, when they go to a Martin Luther King, or they expect it to look like him, I, 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 it's not to me the same as the uh, the Lucille Ball uh, debacle down right. in Jamestown, where it looked nothing like her, and they had to replace it. I like I like as a piece of art. I like the Martin Luther King statue here in Buffalo. But yes, there should be some sort of something that looks that looks like him. Here's my piece with the Hall of Fame. Okay. Number one consideration for the Hall of Fame, shouldn't you be famous? I mean, there's guys in the Hall of Fame. I'll count Harold Baines and maybe even Larry Walker, but not as much. And I'll give him a break because his numbers are better. But shouldn't, they, should, they should really rename that thing like the, uh, the Hall of uh, Statistical References and Comparisons. Well, Harold Baines' stats aren't that great either. He's no Hall of Famer. But he got in because of, of his connections. He should be. Okay. He's How a Tony. This? He's on that Tony Larusa panel, and he played for Tony Larusa, and he's got slipped in, and now we're gonna have all kinds of people getting in who don't deserve it. Well, I got to think about Bill this. Madlock. I mean, if 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 Harold Baines is in, uh, then where's Dave Parker? Right. Um, yeah. These veteran committees bother me because like the players aren't playing anymore; they're not getting better. It's almost like let's get these guys some easier teachers that don't grade so hard. And, and then we'll get them in. Um, and I, I got some guys here. You tell me what you think about this guy should be in the Hall of Fame. How about Billy Buckner? No. How about Fernando Valenzuela, Mark the Bird Fidrich, Roger Maris? Fidrich, I mean, absolutely not. At least they're famous, right? They are. Bo Jackson, if you want to just Bo go Jackson? on fame. Bo Jackson should be in. Why is it based on numbers only? I don't get that. Well, I understand. It's the Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum, it's called. So that's something you should emphasize also. It's not just, I mean, it's a museum, so you should have, yeah. Well, I'm old school. There's like 52 first ballot guys that should be in there. I mean, obviously, maybe they should just have a separate wing for like the greatest of the Hall of Fame. And then put these other guys in the other wing somewhere. But Roger Maris belongs in the Hall of Fame. I think so, too. Um, Bill Buckner does not. Um, Harold Baines does not. I don't know. I, I, I'm surprised that so many people were up in arms that Derek Jeter wasn't unanimous. I, it's overblown. Derek Jeter is okay. He do, he's certainly belongs in the Hall of Fame, but there are some people that looked at his stance that because he played for the Yankees. Was he ever the best player in baseball? He, he might not even have been the best shortstop on his team. I mean, when Alex Rodriguez played for him. Right. I mean, and so that's where... Yeah, I, I understand the people that are a little upset, but we're not talking about somebody saying he should not be in the Hall of Fame, period. We're talking about somebody saying he shouldn't have been a first ballot unanimous. Right, he should have gotten 100%. Babe that's, Ruth didn't get 100%. I mean, yeah, I know that's silly, but... Mariano Rivera did, correct? Yeah, he might have been the first. Yeah, he was the he first. Was, he was the first. But the other thing, a lot, of, yeah. a lot of people That's go fine. back and say Joe DiMaggio had to wait, but they had a backlog also. A lot of people, you can't compare oh, yeah. Joe DiMaggio not getting 100%. In fact, Joe DiMaggio might have had to wait a few years to get on. Yeah, I think it was five or six. But there's a backlog. The baseball had been played for 50 years before they... Hey, Frank, I hate yeah. to do this to you. But I got to take this next call because we have a we have to wedge in a guest. But maybe we can uh, talk a, a, again uh, in, uh, in the next hour. Would that okay. be all right? Whatever you got to do. I hate to do this. No problem. You're always around. This next guest isn't. I'm flexible. All right, it's <laughs> a good so guest. It's a, you'll understand.
Join now on, and I know that he's thrilled to finally be on uh, such a hotline as the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline, is, oh gosh, I don't have it in front of me. Heaven forbid I, I butcher this guy's title because it is impressive. Professional TV watcher. Professional TV watcher. Let me let me just hang on one second, would you? <laughs> let me. It's kind of like a, an Abbott and Costello bit, just setting it up. You are a professional. Technically, you are a professional TV watcher. Um, is this Alan Pergament? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to hear from Alan Pergament uh, for a while. I, I had about enough Alan Pergament. Um, Turner Sports, Senior Vice President of Programming and NBA Digital, Scooter Vertino, a longtime friend of the show. Uh, I dare say a longtime, well, if I say longtime friend of mine, it's like we go back to college. How many years do you have to be to know somebody until you can say long time? It's a good question, but I can tell you that uh, our friendship started when St. Doug departed. So whenever that happened is how long we've been buds. Scooter Vertino. It was one of those weird emails because uh, he reaches out to me to ask about Doug Marone. It was a question, and he sent it to my Buffalo News account, and I'm thinking it's just a regular reader. I get to the end, and I see the name Scooter Vertino, and I could actually hear Marv Albert saying Scooter Vertino. And a lot of people might not get that reference, but Marv, he used to be. Oh, and he thanked everybody. You were Marv Alberts. What were you? Not a spotter, but you were one of his guys, right? I was. I was his producer for about a decade. Yeah. And so he would at yeah. the end of the at the end of the game talk about Scooter Vertino, and I was like, "What the hell?" So anyway, that yeah, was, uh, that was always my parents' favorite part of the game. That's how far back Scooter uh, and I go. Uh, big Bills fan, which is why uh, we have the connection. And um, I have to say, I, I just reached out as a. Just to see as a as a half court desperation shot to see if Scooter was available because sometimes he is and he's a busy fella. But uh, Scooter Vertino, as the senior vice president of programming for Turner Sports, is the guy who runs the TNT NBA shows, and he is the executive. Well, I guess you're the you're the you're the boss of the show that Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley and. Uh, Kenny Smith and and Ernie Johnson do, and you were you, you uh, put together that show last night that everybody's talking about today from the Staples Center, an empty Staples Center in which it was uh, a bunch of very sad men on studio chairs talking about their memories and their uh, love for not only Kobe Bryant but for the sport and each other, and it was very powerful television, Scooter, and, and so uh, can you just tell me? what it was like to be on that set last night and to be there in a in a semi-darkened uh, Staples Center uh, at a at a moment when everybody's in mourning for one of the all-time legends. Yeah, no, sure. Um uh I I, uh, I appreciate the kind words. I I don't know first of all with my job I I do have bosses and there are other people that were certainly heavily heavily involved in last night, but I I I I'll try and give you some insight um as to to all of that, I mean, I, I I've been into that I've been to that arena I don't know forty times, um, and my career at Turner pretty much mirrored Kobe's career in the NBA, uh, so much so that I actually interviewed him one on one when he was receiving Player of the Year award, uh, Naismith Player of the Year award uh, as a senior in high school. He was in Atlanta picking it up, and we sat down and talked. Uh, he and his father and I, uh, and he was you know seventeen at the time. Um, and so our careers kind of span the same time 
period. And uh, I mean, I've been in that arena so many times and produced so many games. And that that arena is uh, it's it's packed. It's obviously a little different crowd than you get other places, but it's always packed and it's full of joy and excitement. And to be there last night when it was empty, but the overwhelming emotion that you could feel, the energy was just somber and sadness and to see the guys because everyone kind of gathers in a green room before you go on a show like that and um uh, some of the guys hadn't seen each other i think guys had texted maybe spoken a little bit um and then to see guys kind of open up and bear their emotions and their their souls if you will a little hyperbole but but it was um it was powerful to watch, even though I kind of knew what was coming. And, and uh, you know, even talking to Derek Fisher and Rick Fox afterward and, and thanking them for coming by, and they said, you know what? Thank you. We really needed that. And not thank you to me, but thank you to Turner for providing the platform. Like, we really needed that. We needed that, that ability to kind of shed whatever had been dragging them down for 48 hours. And, I look, there's no miracle, and people grieve in different ways, and uh, obviously, Jerry West and Shaq were incredibly powerful imagery, um, but they're human beings too, and to see them like that was just kind of jaw-dropping. Um, you know, a lot of planning went into it. Um, and I know that sometimes, like Richard Dice on The Athletic, will write about producers and directors, but a lot of times that's in the realm of, okay, here are the guys working the Final Four, here's who's doing the Super Bowl, here's who's doing the World Series. But last night was... You know, these guys do the same show all the time. It's, it's Steve Fiorello, the director. He worked in concert with Staples Center to make sure that the lighting and the floor and the, you know, the jerseys on were, were lit correctly and we could have the chairs, you know, uh, blocked a certain way. And Jeremy Levin's the producer and he's the one that's coordinating with the talent of the guys on air and, you know, talking to Ernie. We're coming in a break. We're going out of break. Okay. Charles is going to be next. Wade's going to be after him. Uh, Kansas Parker, Steve Ash, whomever, coordinating the guests. I don't know if you noticed, but we really went, you know, we, we, we dumped commercials as the night went on. We had our, quote-unquote, saddlebags full of video elements and um, still photos and all these things to tie into Kobe's life and, and his career and specific interactions with the people on our set. And after a few minutes the decision was made to kind of ditch that and go with the guys because nothing was going to be, you know, you, you use those other elements to support what the people are saying. But when the people on the set and what they are saying is so powerful, you don't want to take away from that. And so if you, if you watch the show back, you, you'll see very little um, of any type of coverage when guys are talking. We didn't drop in a photo or drop in a sound bite or drop in a highlight or anything like that, even though, for the most part, all of those people had interactions that were very public, and we had you know tons of documentation of it, but we just went with, I mean, for lack of a better term, talking heads, but they were very powerful, emotional, and, uh, you know, in the sports world, very well known. Scooter, what was it like to see Shaquille O'Neal in that type of emotional state, and, and how much of, I mean, it was just super powerful to watch um, everything that he had to say. You mentioned, you know, some of what was happening on TV last night you kind of knew was coming, but how powerful were, were those moments for you and just interacting with him all night, knowing him the way that you do? 
Well, I, look, I don't, I, I don't want to say that Shaq and I are incredibly close, but you, we work together, see him all the time. He's always very cordial. He's a super nice guy. He's a guy that works his tail off. Uh, I think he even kind of alluded to it last night that he has lots of different various jobs and endorsements and all this stuff. And he's the best when it comes to kids. His sweet spot's like 7 to 12. And, and it's, he just can't, like, he'll, he'll play games and goof around and have kids shoot. And, you know, if you make this, I'll give you 20 bucks. And, um, you know, when my son was five, I brought him to the studio and Shaq was like, hey, do you want to walk on the ceiling? And my son was a little hesitant. He's like, come on, I have, you know, X number of kids and I haven't dropped one yet. And he held him up and let him walk on the ceiling. So to go in that particular 180 to see him the way he was last night, we just haven't seen it. Um, you know, he's, he, you know, not everything is fun and games. There's, we have serious moments on our set. I think that's one of the things that makes our, our show genuine and, and attractive to even non, um, uh, non hardcore sports fans. Uh, but last night was something I had never seen before. And it was, you know, I, I think it was just, I don't want to say gut wrenching, but it was powerful. And, you know, it, between him and Jerry West, it was it was amazing. You know, the other guys, uh, you could tell, were trying to kind of control their emotions and keep it in check a little bit. Um, and some guys did, you know, and and that's just that's that's kind of the way that show's designed. We're in conversation with Turner Sports senior vice president of programming Scooter Vertino on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. And uh, Scooter, I, I think. Two of the, well, I have a, a handful of thoughts. Uh, I don't know if I should th- just throw them all at it uh, at you and see which ones you think. But uh, Jerry West, obviously, last night was raw, and he's a guy who's clearly, after so many decades of uh, of prominence in the National Basketball Association, is used to being on television. So uh, it didn't really seem uncomfortable, and he didn't seem necessarily uncomfortable to be on camera and to be so emotional like he was, it was almost like he felt it was his duty to be there uh, to tell people how he was feeling. But can you can you explain that part of it uh, and and how you how you took Jerry West looking as though he was just informed about it five minutes before you went on air that Kobe Bryant had died? It's been a few days, and yet he yep. does not seem as though he has come to grips. Uh, with this completely at all. Any word that was mentioned to him about his graciousness or, or what Kobe meant, he seemed like he was about to lose it all over again. It was, uh, it was stunning to see that, because to your point that he has been involved with the NBA for so long. I mean, he's in his 80s now, um, and he's been a success at every level that he's you know participated in with the league player, coach, general manager, executive, and now he's, you know, a quote-unquote senior advisor, but just a senior advisor that helped them land Kawhi Leonard and Paul George with the Clippers. Um, Not only was he distraught, but he was still able to give insight and a peek behind the curtain of a young Kobe who would have dinner at his house, who would hang out with his son, Ryan, who was probably, you know, in his peer group from an age perspective. Um, I just, I, 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 you know, that, that, I, I, I guess you can make the assumption and, and, and Kobe has always or always spoke glowingly about West. I think there is 
admirations because they were two of the top five two guards to ever play in the NBA. Um, and the fact that he, you know, went out of his way to trade for him and, and worked him out and always was very much in his corner. Um, but, you know, the fact that Wes then shared the story about how he forbade him basically from signing with the Clippers. Um, you know, so it was, it was a mix and match of this guy who is so regal and, and just, I don't know, he's basketball royalty trying to hold it together and still giving you insight that I, I mean, I've worked in NBA coverage for 25 years. I've never heard that story. I, you know, I think I read a lot, you know, and I, I mean, it was just, it was amazing to see. And, and the fact that he was willing to come on the air, you know, like you don't have to do that. You're under no obligation to come on our air and, and talk about that. You could do it privately. You could, you know, send out a statement, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever makes him feel like he's doing Kobe's legacy justice, but he chose to come on and share in the fashion that he did. And it was, it was amazing to see. It was amazing to hear. And the byproduct was, it was amazing TV. And a lot of people reached out about it, but to be clear, like, you know, the show was, you wanted to have a tribute, but there's that slippery slope, right? You don't, you don't, you, you, the worst thing you can do is take advantage of someone's downfall or anything negative that you're trying to capitalize on someone's death. I mean, there's nothing worse than that. So, you know, you want to make sure that we, we struck a certain tone and, and, be, and, and part of it was the guests, no question. Part of it was our core guys that came on. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that Ernie Johnson is the best um, point guard in television. Well, that leads right into one of my next observations from last night. And uh, Rick Fox was on your panel. And Rick yes. Fox, uh, in the very early reporting of the helicopter crash, uh, it was reported that Rick Fox, uh, Kobe Bryant's uh, Lakers teammate, was on the helicopter and also died. Um, clearly an erroneous report. What discussions were had either with Rick or among the production staff or the other guys about how you were going to handle that part of that and how he had to deal with um, uh, this, the stress and the, and the angst and, the, and all of the uh, untold uh, problems and, and, and issues that he had to deal with for having been reported as dead. Right. Um, most, of, most of what we do is unrehearsed, and, you know, when we have a meeting, the talent typically isn't part of it. It's Ernie and the production crew and the analysts aren't part. And, and, and most of that is intentional because whether we're doing a show like last night or more of a lighthearted show like all-star reserves on Thursday are going to be announced on TNT. You want the guys and their emotions and their reactions to be genuine and not rehearsed. And so that's part of the reasoning we do it that way. Other, other places do it differently and that's, that's fine, but that's how we approach it. So, there wasn't anything necessarily with Rick that was, um, you know, we didn't walk through things ahead of time. We knew where Ernie was going to go. And then it was up to us, and by us I mean the production crew and Ernie, to follow along with Rick and whatever Rick chose to share. Kenny having, um, you know, some asides about how when, you know, 
Kenny was in Sacramento, Rick was in North Carolina, Rick would work his camps, and they would, you know, he and King Rice, who's the coach at Monmouth, who then Rick brought up later, or brought up at the same time, they would stay at Kenny's house. That was all, there was nothing rehearsed, there was nothing formatted about that. That was, as it, as it occurred, you saw it the same way we saw it. Is it, I think this might be a record, two King Rice references in the same radio program, is that right? Well, last week we talked about King Rice. Did you? Greg Paulus. Oh, geez. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I know go. you have only a couple of minutes, uh, uh, Scooter, but uh, one one last observation. Uh, Charles Barkley is the larger-than-life personality on that show, yep. which is tough to do when you Shaquille O'Neal's also on it. Yeah. Um, one thing I was remarkable about, uh, about Charles last night is that he didn't, he wasn't that larger-than-life personality. He kind of backed off and let other people do it, and I think that's probably tricky to do when you are such a personality like he is. You're tempted to want to jump in and, and give your thoughts. He really seemed to be very uh, appropriately measured last night, and that I thought that made the show so much better. You're right. Um, I would tend to think that's because Charles... Charles knows how to read a room. Charles said up front he was just extremely sad, but he didn't want to claim that he was that close with Kobe, although there was you know plenty of interaction throughout Kobe's career. Um, but Charles did that, uh, and I haven't had a discussion with him about it, although we were on just got off a plane together. But he Char, Charles does things like that because Charles is a great teammate, and that's probably the simplest way to put it. Yeah, I think that's what I was getting at. It's not that I was surprised that he toned it down. I think that the guy is he, he's underrated as a broadcaster is, was kind of the, the point that I was making. At a moment like that, you, your show is a lot about fun and entertainment and being bombastic and Charles yeah. saying the outrageous thing, and he showed right there or last night that he's got multiple gears, and I, I thought that was impressive. Yeah, no, I, I agreed, agreed. Scooter, I know you got to hit it. Uh, thanks for fitting us in, and uh, I, I didn't think you'd be able to do it. I, I sent you the text almost just uh, just as a, uh, hey, why the hell not? But that was some compelling television last night that I'm sure you're going to be proud of for a long, long time, uh, and a lot of people uh, felt uh, so that it was cathartic and uh, and much needed. I, I really appreciate the thoughts, and and. Um, ha- happy to come on. I re- really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Scooter. Uh, get to uh, get to another basketball game. Get to your son's basketball okay. game or practice or whatever you got to do. Much way more important than this. Take care. That was Scooter Vertino, uh, Turner Sports Senior Vice President of Programming. He also runs NBA Digital, which is NBA.com and uh, NBA TV, WNBA.com. A, a bunch of. I mean, the guy's busy. He does some things in the business. And uh, he was joining us, uh, very kind of him, on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. When we come back, we're going to see about Scott Farrell and what he's up to. He disappeared from sports fan uh, from uh, Sports Radio 1270, the fan airwaves, because he was off CBS Sports airwaves. Coming back today, though, we're going to explain where he's been, and he's going to tell you what he's up to next. On the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK, right here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan.
Tim Graham Show. I like this guy. Uh... Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. It's tax season, so keep them in mind. Follow them at, at CTBK45. Give them a call at 716-630-2400. Joining us now on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I guess uh, we're not going to get to hear him like we used to on this station, and we're going to miss the hell out of him, but I can't tell you how excited I am for this next chapter of his career because I know he's going to kill it. Joining us now is Scott Farrell. Scott, uh, I've, I've heard about uh, your next step. Uh, but uh, I think I think I'd like to have you explain to the listeners here what you're up to, uh, so they can track you down and uh, and remain entertained by by your insights. Well, Tim, uh, it's funny that I mean you and I have a long history, so it's funny that uh, you're the really the first uh, interview I've done about it. Like uh, you know, at, at the very least on radio since everything uh, shook out. So I guess uh, in some capacity or another, uh, you mean a lot to me. I've known you forever. We go back uh, a couple of decades in Vegas and, uh, and we've always stayed friends and you've done my show a million times. I think very highly of you. So uh, you're really the only guy that uh, really that I wanted to talk to about it. Uh, there's not much, it's really not that exciting. I guess it is kind of, uh, it's obviously pretty juicy, but, um, you know, I never thought I mattered that much in terms of, uh, you know, getting into that kind of stuff, like, uh, you know, uh, the dirt of it all, because there, there was plenty of mud to uh, go around with this whole thing. There's no doubt about it. But, I mean, uh, it was it was ugly. I won't deny it. And... Uh, I will say that, you know, I knew all along that I was going to go do TV. I knew and they knew uh, that I was going to do TV. There was uh, some level of uh, it was going to be a one hour thing where I, you know, developed a TV show uh, like nine or ten months ago. And I I made this show. I was asked to do it. Uh, they, you know, kind of challenged me to do it. They were like, do you think you could uh, you know, come up with a show idea. And I was like, you know, absolutely. So I started working with, um, some people that I knew, uh, in, in TV, uh, that I worked with at Howard Stern. Right. And I mean, this dude was one of my producers. He's a really cool guy. And, um, people remember him as Compton from my show, uh, going way back. He was like an intern and then he ended up working on Howard TV. So I went to him and, I'm going to give them all the credit in the world. We kind of developed it together. Um, and one thing led to another, and, and they bought the show, uh, Sports Grid. They wanted the show. You sound surprised and, that they went right, for it. Well, well, I mean, I, I wasn't like, uh, I wasn't surprised that they bought the show. I was, uh, you know, I was excited that they wanted the show, but I was, you know, there was a lot that went with it. Like, so... Uh, I wanted, we wanted to make it like a whole, uh, you know, operation where there was a lot of people involved in it and, you know, like somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, like a real show, like if you were doing a, a real show, like I've done a lot of shows over the years with MTV and, 
you know, Battle Dome with Columbia TriStar and all these shows people may have never heard of, but I've been involved. You know, I've done CSI Miami's. I've done movies. I've done a couple of uh, major motion pictures. And I've been on these sets, right? So I know that it takes a lot of people to make a really good show work. And, um, you know, so I drew it up that way. And then when I went to them to, uh, like, kind of get the capacity of hiring people, I wanted a bunch of people involved in it. And uh, there just wasn't that budget, right? So the budget was um, really not going to work in terms of what they wanted to do and what I wanted to do. So there was no way that I could live up to getting all these people gigs, right? Uh, they just weren't going to make enough money to uh, leave their jobs, their careers, to go do this project. So it, it, it shrunk down to really kind of me doing the show with their people, which I didn't have a problem with. I was like, I still wanted to do the show, and they thought that they could produce the show. And they're like, we'll do the show. Uh, let's do it. And But you're going to do it on our terms. And I was like, okay, well, let's do it. So I was just going to do a one-hour show, and then I was going to go do the radio show, right? So one thing led to another, and they started, um, I don't know, how should I put it, uh, messing with me uh, <laughs> with my uh, contract offer. And uh, so, I mean, that's a really good term for it without getting nasty uh, by me. I mean, they started messing with me. So, um, you know, some powerful people. Let's call uh, the individual uh, idiot face. How does that work? Does that work for you? Idiot face started uh, playing games with me. And so idiot face thought that he was going to push me around. And idiot face. Uh, didn't expect me, Uncle Futrelli, to go McEnroe cross-court winner on him. So what I did was, while everyone was, you know, on their knees for Bjorn Borg, because he had pretty long hair and everything, and he was the man, I was the punk rocker with the bad afro and the bad foul mouth and the bad attitude, and I went cross-court winner on his ass. So uh, what I did was I wanted to do both, and I was going to do both, and I had no problem doing both. And, um, you know, one thing led to another, and uh, I quit. So uh, he wanted to play games. I wasn't playing games. It's a hell so, of a thing to have options, isn't it? Well, it really was. Well, it turned into, it turned into. I had one a one hour TV show, which uh, certainly wasn't going to cut the mustard with me fiscally. But uh, it turned into during the holidays, let's say like Christmas and whatever, like Hanukkah and Christmas time. They started talking to me about doing more. You know, they started saying, "Well, listen." Why don't you just... Uh, You're talking about Sports do... Grid. Sports Grid wanted yeah, you to do more. That's right. So Sports Grid wanted me to do more. They were like, they were the ones that wanted the show to begin with. And then they said, why don't you just come here and do uh, multiple shows? Why don't you come here and, in Portuguese, take over? <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, now that, that I like hearing. And, you know, that sounds like something I'd be into if I were to uh, leave all together and do uh, television full time and, you know, do two different shows 
uh, and, and work at, you know, let's just face facts. I'm working four to six and seven to nine. So I got two shows and they're at, you know, normal hours. So I'd have a life. I haven't had a life, Tim, in uh, 30 years. As you know, I've been doing national radio late at night for my, basically my entire career, except for mornings in Miami one year, mornings in New York one year, and afternoon drive in Atlanta one year. And um, other than that, I've been on uh, late night my entire career. Now, people have said, oh, he doesn't matter. Uh, he works overnights and late nights. Well, you know, that's fine. So you can say whatever you want about me. Bottom line is, I, I did really well nationally. You know, I, I've been syndicated for 30 years. And I've been on in, you know, 250, 300 cities forever, right? I'm on in Buffalo. I'm on everywhere. So people can say whatever they want. The fact is, uh, I own late night radio and I have owned it, uh, forever. And I've been kicking everyone's ass forever. So, uh, it is what I do. I do late night because I like being on when all the games are on. I like being on when I don't have to look at people like idiot face and deal with idiot face. And, uh, I can't deal with people that bother me or the people that get in my way or interfere with me or give me all their stupid opinions and views about what I'm talking about on the air. So as you know, I have been uh, the angst of that forever. I have been a troublemaker on the radio, and I think that's why I ended up uh, with Howard Stern. I think that's why uh, I've been, uh, whatever you want to call me, a shock jock, a you know, controversial uh, in trouble with the FCC, everything else. By the way, I'm 5-0 and against those people, too. I like to refer to them as those people. What do you mean, you people? Well, those people I loathe to begin with, and they never beat me either because they're all a bunch of wussies and wankers. And then I, um, you know, I did it because that's when I was comfortable most with not dealing with wankers, pusses, and idiot faces. So all you guys that sit around all day doing shows in the morning and afternoon and, and uh, you know, put it on your little act in front of your uh, bosses and, and conversing with them and, you know, going to lunch with them and sucking up to them and kissing their asses. I'm not that guy. Tim, you know exactly who I am. And I am not that guy. I'm the guy that will tell you what I think of you right to your face. And your audience is going to follow you, too. Your audience is going to follow you. And just just to recap, we're here in conversation with Scott Farrell on the uh, C Thunderwolves hotline. And Scott Farrell is going to be the host of Farrell Coast to Coast right. Monday through Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern. And then right. he's going to take an hour off. I don't know what you're going to do when, during that hour. And then you're going to host in-game live from 7 to 9 p.m. And that's at the Sports Grid. And you also still have your website, uh, com, so people can still uh, get their right. fill, uh, fill of Scotty Farrell uh, here, there, and everywhere. Yeah, and I'm going to do, uh, do a podcast as well, Farrell on the Bench, uh, that'll uh, air uh, every morning. It'll drop wherever podcasts are available. I think we're starting to do that next week. Uh, one thing led to another. They wanted me to do that. I still haven't been able to figure that one out yet. I mean... Uh, I did a I did a Pharrell and a Betts podcast, uh, you know, like in 2018 that uh, didn't go well because they didn't pay me. So what happened was I did the show and they were making money 
And then they, they stole all the money from me and weren't paying me, so I quit doing that. So they messed with me there, and I said, okay, show over. And then I didn't like you then, and I was like, okay, uh, it doesn't matter. I don't care what you think of me. So um, now they want me to do another show, so hopefully, hopefully this show will go better because uh, they took care of me. So what happened was, in the end, um, you know, uh, they, they ended up giving me an offer I couldn't refuse. It was... Uh, it was the best offer I've had in 25 years, okay? So uh, I had idiot face make me the worst offer I've had in 20 years, so I quit. And then uh, Sportsman made me the best offer I've had in forever, and I took it. And so this is real simple math. Uh, you know, bend over, and like everybody else at that place of hell and misery, or go make fat bank and have a blast on national television. And this show is going to be on Sports Grid, the Sports Grid app. It's going to be on the YouTube Sports Grid channel. It's going to be on Pluto TV channel 517. It's going to be on Zumo TV channel 719. It's going to be on Watchster channel 352. It's going to be on multiple regional sports networks on cable television. I firmly believe, without a doubt, they'll do a deal on satellite television. I firmly believe they'll be doing it on satellite radio, so I'll be on there as well. I know uh, those things have been in motion. And, I mean, it's already on uh, Fantasy Sports Radio and iHeart and TuneIn. So every uh, TV show that I do, the 4 to 6 and the 7 to 9, will both be on the radio as well. They'll be on home devices like Ask Alexa. You'll be able to hear me on there as well. Just say, play Fantasy Sports Radio. So my TV shows will both be on radio as a audio version, you know what I mean? They're just picking up the TV uh, sound and they're airing that on the radio side. So I really don't, um, I don't care who I do it for, Tim. Uh, I really, I've always been, as you know, um, greedy. And so I follow the stacks. So if you're going to pay me, I'll do it for you. If you're going to screw me, well then uh, we can all play that game. And uh, so idiot face doesn't like me. And here's the deal. If I ever see idiot face, I'm going to beat his face in. I hate him dead, and I don't care what anyone thinks of me. I'm going to throw him across a room, no matter where it is. So he better be really careful where he goes to lunch in New York. Because if I ever see him, I'm going to play uh, Bill Lane beer with him. You know what that game is? That's called elbow to your face, knock all your teeth out, throw you across the room, and then go on a date with your wife. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. So I'm taking over. He doesn't like it. And I hope he rots in hell, literally, for the rest of his life. And in a I don't care. It, I am not nice. I it, am not friendly. And I'm not the kind of guy, frankly, uh, that you want to play these kind of games with. I've been doing it too long. And I'm not putting up with some hot shot, big shot suit that thinks he's a badass. I'm a badass. That's the difference. I'm a badass, you think you're a badass, and Mr. Badass beats your ass at your own game. How do you like them apples? In a great show of loyalty, and the folks in western New York uh, will love to hear this, Mike Carver, a.k.a. Carver High, is coming along for the ride, uh, so he'll be joining you at SportsGrid. Uh, it's got to be great to have him coming along with you. Listen, uh, Mafia and uh, Carver High, now, I love both of these guys. Carver High... Uh, he's been with me a while at the network. I brought him there 
from the fan. He's a great talent. Uh, he, you know, unfortunately, he's got some major sins in his life. One is uh, the, the Islanders. I hate the Islanders. Two, I don't have a problem uh, that he's obsessed with the Buffalo Bills because I like uh, I like Buffalo as a city, as sports fans, great history, great place. I love you, and I've always loved being on 1270, so I got no problem with that. But he does have sins in his life. You know, um, I'm not, like, I'm a Steeler fan, so I don't put up with all these other shenanigans. But a great talent. I'm excited he's, um, he's coming with. Mafia's been with me 15 years. He started with me coming out of Seton Hall at Howard Stern, and he's coming too. I got both of those dudes fat raises too. So that was one of my last gifts to Idiot Face was to steal the two best producers they had at that place in that morgue. And I literally, and I have nothing nice to say. Now, here's the deal. Everyone there that I worked with, everyone, like the entire place, colleagues, on-air hosts, anchors, producers, engineers, program directors, I got along, Tim, fabulously with everyone. We were, without a doubt, the most popular people there, bar none, and the coolest. We were, we, we were literally on the house. Everyone wanted to come in uh, the Pharrell Palatial to party. Everyone knew that I was the life of the party. I owned the place at night. We ran the place at night. And there wasn't one person out of uh, whatever it is, 75 people, that didn't reach out to me and was just absolutely miserable that we left because we kept the place going and we were the life of the place. So I loved everything about my friends and colleagues and coworkers and even my bosses. I had no problem with the only person that I had a problem with there was idiot face. Now idiot face was the problem. He's another one of these big shot suits that they brought from Philly to act like he's some kind of machete hatchet man who gives everyone around the country pay cuts and they're supposed to smile and thank him for it. Well, I'm not the guy that you want to come into the room with and hand that kind of news to. So I beat idiot face at his own game and he hates me and I'm glad he hates me because I'm going to haunt him for the rest of his life because he's got nothing without me. But everybody else I love and I wish him nothing but the best. And I had a blast working with all of them. And they are terrific people. There's only one person, idiot face, who screwed this all up for everyone. So everyone who lost the great for all event show, blame idiot face. Because it's his fault. And I hope he rots in hell. I told you that. And I'm telling you that again. In fact, I hope if he goes on a cruise, his boat sinks. <laughs> Do you want... Do you want to give your thoughts on the, I hope on the Super Bowl sandwich? <laughs> I hope he eats a ham sandwich and the mustard gets caught in his throat and he gets salmonella face. <laughs> do, you want, do you want to give your thoughts? I hope he gets sores on his neck and face <laughs> and his wife can't look at him because she's fat and ugly too. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you want to give your thoughts on the Chiefs and 49ers or do you want to call it a day? I like the Niners to win big. I'm not even interested in the little cheesy line. I think they're a better football team on both sides of the ball. Better running game, better up front, better pass rush, better defense. I think the only thing better about the Chiefs is the quarterback, which he might win the game by himself. But I think he's going to be running for his life against that defense. And I think the Niners are going to run the ball down their throats. I think the Chiefs' defense sucks. 
and I think they should have lost to Houston and to Tennessee. They were down 24. They were down 10 twice. That's 20. They will not do that against this team. If they get down 14, 17 points to this team, they'll lose by 20. Count on that. I'm going Niners. Here's another thing. Just real simple. History repeats itself. The Niners win Super Bowls. The Chiefs don't win anything. It's been 50 years. Andy Reid never wins anything. Now, I could be wrong, and maybe I will be. That's fine, too. I could care less. You know why? Because I hit so many G-damn bets from the wild card through the AFC Championship. I mean, money lines, totals, and spreads. Everyone knows. Roanevents.com. Every day, I'm like Jesus. All I do is make people money, and the people say, oh, he's like Jesus, that guy making me fat stats. Bands will make her dance. Pharrell's like Jesus. Where'd he go? No one's seen him. But look, I rose again from the dead, and I'm going to be on TV every day on Sports Good now, and I'm going to haunt idiot face forever, and the millions of fans that listen to me are coming to watch me on Sports Grid, and the days of the morgue and all their boring-ass shows are over. And you'll know soon enough in Buffalo when that late-night show they got on sucks tire. <laughs> Scotty, I love you, man. And uh, I hope this means that I, I can bring you in every now and then and the folks in Buffalo can still hear your pearls of wisdom because... Uh, uh, without you here on the station anymore, it, like I said, we're going to miss the hell out of you, but it's, uh, I, I'm excited because, and you know what, the best Scott Farrell is a fired-up Scott Farrell. And, uh, again, follow him at sportsgrid.com. Uh, listen to his shows. Watch his shows. Uh, Farrell on the bench. Uh, follow him there. And, I mean, I, we're not going to – you're not going to be in short supply. You're just not going to be on this station anymore. And uh, we, uh, I can't thank you enough for deciding Let to come on and, and talk and, and letting us know what you're up to. You're going to be on my show all the time, so what's the difference? Uh, you'll always be on my show forever. And we'll get you on there. And just remember, uh, fans, uh, just download the Sportsman app. It's like I tell my friends, a gerbil could do it. That's how easy it is. Uh, the Sports Grid app. And I'll tweet it out. App. For everybody who's listening now, I'll tweet it out onto my feed so that way you get all the, you know, where right. Scotty is and all that stuff. It's so but, easy. It's so easy. Like, Sports Grid, Pluto, Zumo, Watchster. Download those apps. The Sports Grid app, literally, real quick, all you have to do is press this giant button. It's the size of idiot faces, wife's fat ass. So all you have to do <laughs> is press the red button that's as fat as idiot faces, wife's fat ass. And you'll be able to watch me in HD every day on your phone. So I wish nothing but hate and venom on idiot face. I love everyone in Buffalo. I love Tim Graham. God bless everyone who shove a lot to Buffalo. Go Steelers. Screw the Bills Mafia and Carver High and all his fat friends out there and drunks and alcoholics and pot-smoking losers. I love all of you. God bless. Be cool. Peace out. That was Scott Farrell on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. And uh, Scotty's always a part of the winning team. Uh, can't thank him enough. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have more uh, here on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis B. Son, Kirshner CPAs and business consultants, right here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. What are you looking at now? Nothing. What are you looking at now? Nothing. Here's what a poor boob looks like. I've got news for you. This poor boob is you. Taking your calls at 270-1270. The Tim Graham Show. 
Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis Besaw and Kirshner CPAs and business consultants. Breaking news. Do we have sound effects? Oh, of course we do. I guess it's not super. That's not breaking. That was Twilight Zone. Is this also Jerry Sullivan's breaking news music? Yeah, it's 1270, the fan breaking news. Oh, is it? Yes. <laughs> I like this, like this, this thing. I like this part. This feels like breaking news. It's actually from a few minutes ago. Seattle's new NHL team has chosen a nickname. Yeah. The Seattle Kraken. Now that's official. Oh, that's a report. Yeah, I guess it's not. Yeah, a lot of people have it, though, so I, I was just making sure. Yeah, I thought I had something. The Seattle what now? Kraken. Kraken. You know what a Kraken is? It's that big octopus. Yeah, that's... Spiced rum. I don't know. All right, we're running out of time. We got important stuff to talk to talk about. We got to get on the horn. From Buffalo to Las Vegas. The Bills make me wanna. Everyone who hates Tom Brady hates Tom Brady because he's not on there. Tomorrow is my birthday. <laughs> but I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, the excitement that's around the, the, the city as a whole. It's more like a royal flash. Super Joel Sunday. T-minus four days to Super Joel Sunday. Super Joel Sunday. Joining us on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline, Joel Staniszewski. The pride of Sloan, the pride of St. Joe's, the pride of Buff State, Las Vegas uh, resident, handicapper, odds maker, industry analyst. How you been? Uh, well, let me let me ask you this. Actually, not how you been. How you feeling? And are you resting up? What is your week of preparation like as you're getting ready for Super Joel Sunday? Super Joel Sunday. Uh, <laughs> It's 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 uh it's pretty normal to be honest. It's, without the bills there, it's just uh, it's another day, you know. Of course, I'm going to enjoy all the festivities and everything, but uh, until until we get a Super Bowl in Las Vegas, it's not going to be super exciting. But when we do in the next couple of years, it's it's probably going to be like mayhem, just like the the draft. Like they're already planning the draft in the fountains of the Bellagio, so it's going to be you know chaos. Joel sounds like one of these athletes who's just treating this like any other week. He's keeping his process the same. <laughs> one, game, one game at yeah, a time. Man. It's, one just, game at it's a time. just like any other game. You have to at least factor in the lengthy pregame, the, all the pageantry, the flyovers, the extended national anthem, the extended halftime. Uh, yeah, I, I hope that you treat this game as uh, – act like you've been there before, Joel. That's the only <laughs> advice that I have. Right. Let's, let's jump right into it. Um, the – we can't jump right into it because I lost my... Okay, so Kansas City opened up as a one-and-a-half-point favorite, and it stayed about the same. Uh, you can maybe get it for a point, uh, or as uh, you can uh, you can find a point-and-a-half if you want to take San Francisco. You can find, a, uh, you can find it for a point if you want to take Kansas City. But uh, what are your thoughts on this essentially being a pick'em game? Um, so when I, when the matchup first came out before I even looked into it, I think the public reaction was, oh, Kansas City is going to be the team. And my initial reaction was, oh, I like San Francisco in this game. 
But as as the time has gone by, I've kind of thought more into it, uh, looked into the numbers and, and the trends and everything, and, and I'm kind of leaning towards Kansas City now. And I, I can't say that I'm going to completely flip. Um, the public is, is, is high on Kansas City. Um, I, a buddy of mine who lives up in Reno told me that there's a book, a small book up in Reno that has San Francisco as a one-point favorite uh, because of their proximity. Right. You uh, have a so lot of people who are 49ers fans who are coming over that border into Tahoe yeah. and Reno and, and sticking money on the 49ers. Yeah, Interesting. So it's, it's a really small spread. It's basically a pick em game. Uh, I probably won't bet pregame, um, but I think in-running is going to be a really interesting thing because it's such a small number. So as soon as a team scores, the line's going to obviously go in their favor. Um, that's the ideal time to bet the other side, hoping that you can then get them to come back. You know, If you're down seven points, uh, that line is going to move considerably in-running to that, to that team. Are there any trends that you're looking at for this one? Um, you know, both teams are great. There's no denying that both teams have won the same amount of games. Uh, the, the, the trend that stood out to me was, uh, Andy Reid coming off of a, of a, uh, bye, which is basically a week off. They didn't have a bye, but a week off. Uh, Andy Reid's teams are 23 and four straight up and 18 and nine against the spread all time, regular season and postseason with a week off. Ooh. That's a juicy little nugget. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you get to this when you get to this level, you got to look at uh, the, the the coaching. Both teams are great. Both teams have great playmakers. Um, but when you what you got to look at, I think is is quarterback versus quarterback, which you have a way better quarterback with Mahomes, uh, coach versus coach, and you have the experience with Reed. Uh, so if you're looking at that. As your as your deciding factor, you're definitely leaning towards towards the Chiefs. Uh, San Francisco has a better defense, and they can run the ball really well, which is Kansas City's uh, downfall. What I did see is that the 49ers, sorry, take that back, the Chiefs are not good against tight ends. Kansas City ranks in the bottom five against opposing tight ends, and when you look at San Francisco. Uh, and their tight end play, I mean, then, you, then now you're looking towards MVP odds in which you can get George Kittle at 10, to 12, 10 or 12 to 1, uh, which I think is a great, is a great uh, number for a player that could have a, a, a great game. What about some other props? I know you're not a huge props guy, Joel, but this is the Super Bowl, and that's a huge part of the fun. Anything else stick yeah. out for you? There, I mean, there's a uh, this every as the years go on, there's just more and more and more props. You're looking at like a thousand different props uh, when you're looking at uh, MVPs, first team to score, uh, all of that, um, and and you got to look at hold percentages. So you're not getting very good odds when you're thinking about if everyone bets an even amount of money on every possible outcome, the casinos are holding like 30%. So you, you know, when you're looking at true odds versus what you're actually betting on, you're, you're getting awful numbers. So I, I go for value bets. Uh, I'm not going to bet, you know, minus $9. No, there's not going to be a safety or things of that sort. So you look at something that could stand out. Um, if, that and that that to me is is MVPs. So the quarterbacks you have to assume are the top are the favorites because seven out of the last nine 
um, MVPs were quarterbacks. So you got to look at the other two were linebackers. So you got to look defensively. Uh, Nick Bosa at thirty to one is a is a great number. Um, Richard Sherman at thirty three to one is a great number. So these are like you take flyers on them, you put a couple bucks down. If it happens, great. Uh, if it doesn't happen, then whatever. You know, you took a shot. Um, so it, it's when you're looking at the two teams on on paper, Kansas City is a superior team. Uh, better quarterback. But what San Francisco has is they have a better uh, supporting cast than Kansas City does. When you look at the success of the team with the value of the quarterback on the team, um, so you got to look at um, when you're looking at props. You're, again, you're looking at value. I'm not going to be laying five dollars, six dollars on a prop. I'm going to look at something that I can get, you know, plus three dollars or more on. Um, you know, Tyree, uh, I saw that DraftKings books, um, the most bet on props is Tyreek Hill to record the longest reception at uh, plus 350. Uh, Tyron Matthew to make the first uh, interception at 8 to 1. Richard Sherman to make the first interception at 9 to 1. Those are things that um, I think have value that if you bet $20, you know, it's, it's okay, whatever, I lost $20, but if it hits, now all of a sudden you you know you got you just won two hundred dollars so it's that's I think what the value is when you're looking at props I'm not going to tie my money up for months comparing uh, number of receptions for Sammy Watkins versus number of losses for Manchester City throughout the course of the season or whatever crazy cross sport props they have uh, I just keep it to that day. Uh, and I just kind of focus on the game itself and don't get crazy with all the different props you can you can get get into. Joel, what's the uh, what's the emotion like for you when when this all comes to an end? It's Super Joel Sunday. It's a full <laughs> season of football. I mean, what do you Super are you going to be betting on XFL next week? Are you going to be jumping on giving us I, a I handicap see, in that? I did see they were odds to win the XFL championship up. I didn't look at what they were. Uh, but I did see that they were up, and next year's Super Bowl line is up. Uh, Bills are at thirty to one uh, to win the Super Bowl next for next year, uh, which I think is a little bit uh, not not a very good number considering uh, the amount of travel the Bills are going to be doing, the strength of schedule. Uh, You're used to getting a fatter number than that. Yeah, it's not yeah, a right. good number uh, at all. Not not at all. Uh, I'm used to getting you know hundred to one plus. Uh, so I, I still I'm still going to make the bet. Obviously, I'm, I'm a fool for that, uh, but. You know the number that you're used to getting, you're not getting anymore, and that has to do with the Bills actually having success on the field, which is what we all want. Um, so, you know, you kind of take the good with the bad, I guess. Have a blast on Super Joel Sunday, Super and Joel uh, Sunday. thank you for a season's worth of fantastic analysis on the Bills games and throughout the postseason, Joel. Uh, thanks for being such an important part of the show, and uh, we'll be following along. And to recap, Joel likes... Kittle for MVP. He likes the Chiefs, and a big part of that is because after a week off, Andy Reid's 23-4 and straight up, 18-9 against the spread. Oh, we didn't get a total. Uh, what do you think about the total? 54, it opened at, and the money's yeah. gone on the over, so it's now pushed up to 55. Yeah, uh, it seems pretty high to me. Uh, San Francisco is a running team. Uh, they have. They both have... Decent defenses. Kansas City has gotten better throughout the course of the year. It seems high. Do you think Usually, it, because it's gone up a point already, does that indicate it will continue to go up and you should wait to put if you want to take the under? 
I would think that, yes. I mean, the lines are going to be moving around. We're going to get tons of handle throughout the course of the week. Uh, so books are, are, are hesitant to move a line too much for fear of the take back. So they're, they move it slowly because they have so much time and they know so much handles coming in in the next couple of days. So, uh, you know, that's where, you know, having an app on your phone is key. You just wait and wait and wait. You don't got to sit there and travel back and forth to books. You just sit there and wait till you get the number that you want and then you, then you bet it. We're grateful for your insight, Joel. Thanks for the advice. Thanks so much. That's Joel Staniszewski on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. My thanks for several guests today on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. Scott Farrell joined us, uh, as did Joe Mahalik from Hofstra University to talk uh, about his uh, memories of Morgan Wooten and Kobe Bryant, uh, two uh, people who were close to him uh, and, and died five days apart. Uh, my thanks to Scooter Vertino for joining us at the last second to talk about last night's uh, NBA on TNT production regarding uh, Kobe Bryant's passing. Uh, Scooter Vertino is the Turner Sports Senior Vice President of Programming. And uh, my thanks to Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, to Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Enterprises, to Bobby Rosati for jumping through all kinds of hoops today to put the show together. And uh, we'll come back at you next week. We'll have a recap of the Super Bowl, what's going on with the Sabres, maybe a look at uh, Bill's free agency, all the good offseason stuff uh, next Wednesday on the Tim Graham Show. Brought to you by Shampoo, Travis B. and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan.